It feels Maybe it feels important to me to talk a bit about refuge and introduce refuge into the retreat. Um, I don't always at PCBS introduce refuge into the retreat, but it feels right for some reason. So I'm going to, it feels uh, resonant. So refuge is this Now, I would say that most, it, it may be the only, the only thing, one of the few things that unites Buddhists worldwide in terms of ritual or chanting, I think, there's such a diversity it's not like there's a Buddhism. It's not like there's a Buddhism just like it's not, there's not like there's a Hinduism or a Christianity. Such things don't actually exist. They're just umbrella terms. There's Buddhisms and, um, and, but one thing that most of these, or all of these traditions share is this, is this practice of refuge and and I was really thinking about it a lot today. Maybe that's why I want to introduce it, because it was so sitting with me. And I think it's, you know, it is, it is specific when we take refuge. We take refuge in Buddhist tradition, in the Buddha and the Dharma and the Sangha. And, and there's different ways of understanding what that means, but I like the widest possible way of understanding. That's the way I can sign up for. I can't sign up for a narrow way of understanding. Um, if it gets too narrow, I really chafe at it. Like if it's if Buddha means this this man that lived twenty five hundred years ago and that's all it means, I can't really say that prayer so heartfully. Not that I don't love and have affection for that individual and his life, but but it's so small and limited compared to what we could how we could understand it. So I'm going to say how I understand refuge. I'm going to share that with you and. Maybe it's useful. And maybe we can add it to the morning prayers with, with Kara. Maybe she can add it, the Pali refuge. It's also a nice way to start practice. And I have a refuge prayer here that I want to add in the, in the second session. That's an, a total adaptation, a totally different kind of refuge, but I would like to add it. 
It's our eco-sattva, refuge prayer from <clears throat> my Sangha, Natural Dharma Fellowship. I want to share that too with you because it's very resonant with this retreat. But what refuge, really, the essence of refuge, this is what I was really thinking about a lot today, and I don't think I've ever shared, that, shared it this way with any group or any person even. I don't even think I've had this thought exactly, but somehow today it was really hitting me that the essence of refuge is a commitment to find graceful relationship and a commitment to rely, a commitment to rely, um, which in some ways is really important. And, and I say commitment to rely um, in the sense of being willing, ready, to not feel like you have to do everything yourself. And I think that's, I very much have been a person in my life who didn't seek help when I needed help. I don't know if you've been that kind of person, but I'm very much in that camp and have been in that camp um, in my life. And probably because of early experiences in my life where I came to believe that if you lean too heavily or if you lean at all, you that person isn't going to be there or the support isn't going to be there. Maybe many of us felt those things in our life. So, so anyway, that, that it's like that impulse to seek help, that impulse to rely is refuge, that willingness to, I don't have to be doing everything myself and I can find a place where I can trust, and I am committing to do that. For me, that lately, I've been thinking about refuge that way, just very recently, and it's been very helpful because of the personality that I am. I don't know your personalities, but this person that doesn't ever want to be needy, and, and is scared of being needy. Like, that's my, one of my biggest triggers. So, so anyway, when I've been thinking lately about refuge, it's, it's something about the seeking reliance, seeking, being willing to ask for help. And, and in a way, that's what refuge is. It's like remembering that there are wise ones in the world and remembering there are kind ones in the world there are compassionate ones in the world, and I vow to lean on them, or I vow to be connected to them. And that's really the essence for me of refuge. And also, I vow to stay on the path. That's a refuge in the Dharma. Or I vow to, to continue to evolve that's what I think this essence of Dharma is. The essence of Dharma, it's not one teaching. It's not the Buddhist teaching. It's not the suttas. Yes, the suttas are wonderful. And the scriptures and the poems and the enlightened masters are wonderful. But, but not if they don't help us evolve. So the Dharma, in my mind, is what helps you evolve, what helps you 
to change and grow, whatever that is. Maybe the Dharma is dancing. Maybe the Dharma is singing. Maybe the Dharma is hiking or whatever helps you evolve. And then Sangha is, for me, about community. I take refuge in Sangha is about I want to be in community. It's not easy to be in community. Have you lived in community? Some of you have lived in community. I spent many years living in intentional community. It's not easy living in community. Um, it's, it's a challenge, but it's a wonderful challenge. And so there's kind of, in song, taking refuge in Sangha, this vow to, to, to be part of a net or a web of care, be part of a web of care, be part of that net that it, of reciprocity that is community. And so for me, that's what, that's what these, these three mean. Refuge in the Buddha, refuge in the Dharma, refuge in the Sangha is something like refuge in elders, refuge in um, compassionate and wise presences, willingness to lean, and refuge in dharma is a refuge in whatever helps us grow, evolve. And refuge in sangha is refuge in community. Um, you'll see in the, in the refuge prayer that we're going to do tomorrow, late morning, um, that was a re, I reinterpreted that, that refuge as refuge in Gaia and refuge in the wild world and refuge in the teachings that come from the wild world. So that too, that too, adding to the, to the meanings of refuge. So I hope we can practice some refuge here together and incorporate it, weave it into our time together starting tomorrow morning with, with Kara. And, you know, one of the forms of the Dharma that I find most inspiring, and maybe this resonates with some of you as well, is the dharma of, that comes through the sharing of experience, the sharing of experiences. Um, my favorite genre of all written genres is the memoir. I love memoirs. I just, I just inhale memoirs. And some of the reason that I inhale memoirs is, for me, they are dharma. It's this deep sharing of someone's experience. And it doesn't have to be a perfect person. In fact, it's better if it's not, right? So much better because then the Dharma is so authentic. You know, the Dharma is so authentic and so relatable. And so that sharing of experience can really 
help us um, to evolve, uh, can give us uh, other templates, another, other views of how we might work with our own life or our own path. And um, I find that so alive, so alive. And so I wanted to bring that into this, this retreat, some of this sharing of experiences and going a little bit more, more deeply than um, this happened and that happened. But, you know, this happened and that happened. And then this feel, I had this feeling and this feeling. And then I came to this understanding. So some things can really be... And sometimes the specifics in stories are very, very enlightening. What we see, what we observe, what we hear, what we feel in sharing our experiences are all very significant and important. Um, Help us enter the experience with the other person. So I want to do some of that in the evenings And I imagine that this is what our ancestors did. And maybe for some of you, this is what your family did around the dinner table. This sharing of experiences um, may have been a part of your own family life. It could have been, or it could have been that you didn't have that experience. I feel like that part of our culture has kind of fallen away with screens and television and entertainments that are at our fingertips. We're no longer relying on each other to be the source of our growth and attention necessarily. So um, I feel like that's a missing piece in our modern culture, I guess you might say, or is a, is, has gotten weaker over the last hundred years or so, but I imagine not that long ago, hundred years ago, 150 years ago, there was so much more of that when there wasn't the kinds of devices and entertainments that we now have um, in our culture. So anyway, I wanted to do some of that sharing and and I did um, create those groups do you guys remember what group you were in? Because <laughs> I didn't bring that list. Okay, so so maybe we'll just go ahead and and um, pass the mic. And so I wanted to give you some some choices, some thoughts um, to think about what you might share. And you don't have to worry about filling up the next two hours because we're spending the last hour in practice. So we're going to be doing some practice and some chanting together in the last part. So we're not going to be doing this for the whole time, but for half the time, for part of the time. Um, So some thoughts I had about what we might share is the, the story of your treasure finding. You could tell the story of your treasure finding and what you found and, and how you worked with it, could be related to that. Or if that's not speaking to you, it could be the story of what, how you came to love nature, 
like looking back in your life, what was the seed for you that planted a love of the trees and the non-human world? If you're here, you probably have that love. So what was the seed or who was the seed? And tell, share with us some about this, this person that woke, awoke this love in you or maybe this experience that awoke this love in you might be another way you could go with the storytelling tonight. Um, we could go, you could go with um, telling the story of how you were drawn to the Dharma or how you were drawn to meditation or to practice and how that seed was planted. Don't do all of them, just one of them. <laughs> but, um, but share with us uh, your story. And we all want to hear it. And so as the listeners, as our practice, we can work on a practice of deep listening. And some of you who've been around a while or have known me a while <laughs> have known, know how this dear this is to my heart this practice of deep listening. Deep listening is more than just listening. You know, I think we can listen and kind of be distracted and fidgety and kind of like, oh, oh that piques my interest. Oh, you know, just kind of semi-engaged, right? But there's another way we can listen, which is very much like practice, like meditation practice. You know, with meditation practice, we might rest our attention on the breath. And then when we become distracted, we draw the breath back. Or if you're a practitioner of the wakeful body, let the breath draw you back. <laughs> so you know that practice, how that goes. You let it draw you back. But we can do the same thing with listening that listening becomes the meditation practice. And then when we become distracted, we let the presence of the other and the story that they're sharing be the object that, that we draw back to. And when we become distracted by our thoughts, when we become distracted by it, primarily that's what it is, or by the pain in our knee or whatever it is, we let our attention come back in that way. Um, and also with deep listening, when it's not so much of just listening to the content of the speech. Deep listening is embodied listening. That is listening with your whole body and nervous system in a way that is attentive, uh, curious, and compassionate, caring, and wakeful. So embodying that kind of receptivity is deep listening, a practice of deep listening. It's actually something you can train in and work on, and it's especially useful with our close relationships, like with our spouse or with our child or with our parents, to learn to really drop below just what they're saying 
and to be with the full presence of that person and to appreciate and resonant, be resonant and open to that present presence that makes listening so rich and so embodied. And it doesn't then become about just about the words or about even about the content of the words, right? Because we can have so many judgments about the content. Or maybe, like, you know, I'm thinking of some of you maybe caregivers for your aging parents. And as, you know, our people that we're caregiving for, as they, you know, lose their cognitive capacity, you know, maybe it's manifesting as them rambling or whatever, to learn that it doesn't matter. There's this presence and to, you know, sort of listen with these, this new attention that isn't about our frustration with the rambling or something, but it's about this person is still here and they're still totally aware and I can be in relationship with that awareness, something like that. So, do we have, do I have any? Are there any? Anyone want to volunteer to be first? Brave soul. Oh, bless you. Car, would you mind? <laughs> Thank you. She, the car gets extra exercise in the hall. Thank you, and I want to thank everybody for listening. Thank you. Um, can you can you tell us your name again? Yes, also in the I'm beginning. Caroline. Thank you, Caroline. And uh, um, yeah, uh, my experience in treasure hunting started this morning when we went for our walk because um, what that experience very much impacted what happened to me later. Um, I've always loved walking in these woods here. Every time I've been to IMS and. Uh, um, this morning, I was really looking closely at the trees because I love trees. And I have this app on my phone, which I didn't have with me, called Picture This, where you just look at the, the leaf of a tree and you get all of its information. Its name, its Latin name, its country of origin, its um, lifespan, you know, everything you'd want to know about it. And I was feeling so frustrated because... I was looking at these trees and just really loving them and you know, doing my 360 and looking at the trees and I kept looking up at the canopy and I just wanted to know, I mean, I know maple and oak and I'm hopeless, I can't, you know, and maybe chestnut, but I couldn't, so I just said, okay, shoot, I don't have the phone, I don't, can't do this app right now, I'm just gonna have to be with the trees. And it, I started thinking about when we first came together and we were all in a circle and uh, um, we say our name and where we're from and something about why we came to this retreat. And, uh, and that is, I don't know, I was comparing it to the data that I get about the trees, but the trees didn't give themselves those names. And, you know, <laughs> you know so that, to look at my, phone to get the information about a person is not the same as listening to them. So um, uh, I decided to, when I went back out this afternoon, that I was really going to listen to the trees. And that first walk this morning, I had noticed these vines, very thick, like trees, climbing up in curly cues around 
other bigger trees. And some of them were very, very beautiful, and I was just struck by them. And uh, so I thought, well, I'll look for some of those. And I, the first one I saw this afternoon was one that was cut, clean cut on the bottom. It was a vine that had been clean cut. And I thought, oh, right, these vines kill the trees. And we have a life and death scenario going on here. And it wasn't quite so friendly as it had been in the morning. And I noticed the clean cut was the apex predator had decided what is going to live and what is not going to live in this forest. So I was kind of like a little bit of a dark thought, but I went walking and found a sunny spot um, and just watched the trees and um, was thinking how silent it was. And then I really started listening, and actually there was a lot of noise, acorns dropping, water drops dropping. And, uh, and my intention had been exactly what you had said, the end of the session was to be porous. And uh, I wanted to kind of let my body do the thinking. Um, as much as one can separate the mind and the body, I wanted to just feel the experience and not premeditate it. So, um, but I started, I was sitting there for a long time on the rock and realized that I feel really safe here. I feel really welcome. You know, um, the trees have made me feel very welcome and whatever little beings, and there's a lot of mosquitoes, I'm sure they were happy to see me. Uh, and I got up from the rock and I had no great revelation except that I felt very safe and secure and welcome in this place. It was a sanctuary. And uh, I was walking along and just out of the blue, my eye, because I was trying to be more in my senses and not in my head, I saw a baby tiny newt um, that was bright orange, like the color of the carrots in our soup tonight, really bright orange. And there was, it was tiny, it was maybe only an inch and a half long. And I was so struck by this, first because the color was so striking. Um, and I'd been noticing colors in the morning and I hadn't seen anything that color. There'd been some red berries, kind of looked like danger, and some um, darker berries and some multicolored mushrooms, which were phenomenal. Uh, but this was like fluorescent orange, this little baby newt. And so I watched him for a while and um, started gathering up anything that was remotely orange around me, and there was nothing like him, but just to put it in his path so he would be camouflaged a little bit because his vulnerability seemed so amazing. He's this fleshy little being, and there's quite a few birds around, and I just know what, you know, he's smaller than a worm, even some worms, and I was very worried for him. And so I was gathering orange leaves. Um, there weren't many maples in that area, so there wasn't a lot of orange leaves, and I was really like, oh gosh, you know, this guy is so vulnerable, and I thought, well, I feel safe in the forest, but he's not safe, and I started suddenly feeling unsafe, too. Um, and I, of course, made a prayer that he survive. And as I stayed with him, and he walked about eight feet the time I was with him, and he kind of disappeared under a pile of leaves, and I was like, thank God, and I thought it was a good time to go. But as I stayed with him, 
I showed him to somebody else without asking his permission, and I felt very, very bad about that. So I decided to ask or, or really think about him and what his teaching was for me. And uh, I realized that when he was walking, and I'm thinking how vulnerable he is and how scared I was for him, he didn't seem scared at all. He wasn't scared of me. He wasn't scared of anything. He was doing his little walk um, through the leaves, and uh, he was wandering also. And that was very striking to me. And um, if I had asked him, are you worried about the birds coming and getting you or an animal eating you, I think he would have said, I'm just here now. This is what I'm doing. And the teaching for me was death happens and it doesn't matter. Um, it's going to happen to all of us and we just have to live the life we have now. And he was clearly enjoying himself, looked like to me. He was walking very slowly and then he got to a sunny spot and he kind of stayed there for a little while, soaking up the rays of the sun and uh, um, that was just a phenomenal teaching for me. Um, and, you know, the, the vines that had been cut and the, oh, I, there was a rotted tree stump I had seen. And I realized um, that there are trees growing and there are trees dying, going back into the earth. And this is all happening together in the same space right here, life and death. Um, it's not separated out. Uh, and um, it's all part of the same cycle. And that was very reassuring to me. Thank you, Caroline. We can pass it to your right or left, to the next person. Okay, okay. yeah, oh, good. So I'm Harriet, and um, I lived in community at a place called Eco Village for five years, so <laughs> that's kind of funny, but that's not what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about um, the morning and afternoon treasure and uh, some similarities. Um, so this morning, I felt very... Um, I'm losing my words. I felt a little funny about doing the sweep. Um, so when I finally did it, because I like rocks and I like mountains, so I wanted rocks. So my ego wanted rocks. And um, so I finally found some rocks, and I wanted a big vista. And for some reason, I looked down and... I saw the most beautiful thing, and it inspired me to write a poem. If I can read what I wrote, because I didn't bring my glasses. Red newts, mauve mushroom, intimate, quiet riot, jewels at my feet. So I learned that I don't always need that vista that I can look down and see that beautiful 
the beautiful red newts on a mauve mushroom. Mm -hmm. And it was much more inspiring than all the vistas in the mountains. So, thank you. <laughs> and then, <laughs> this afternoon, I wasn't sure how, because when we, you gave us the assignment, I had already written this poem. So I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Um, so I went walking, <clears throat> and um, I like to hike mountains, and I feel like um, Badaya, very safe when I'm hiking mountains. And um, so I wrote this, um, but the title's longer than the poem. Um, and I didn't bring my glasses, which uh, that's, I think I've got it. Gratitude for my, for my stick, and then in parentheses, and all the life-sustaining treasures. Um, the best walking stick, the one who gave, who gave permission on the hike today. So that's why I feel safe, because nature's keeping me safe. Thank you, Harriet. Yes, songs and poems welcome. <laughs> Tired of my sympathetic nervous system. So this way, hopefully, calm down. So I think I, too, will just, um, well, I'll talk about the treasure hunt. And um, it was easier for me to go out earlier when there wasn't sort of an agenda. It was just go out, and I didn't have to think, oh, I have to do something. So then I was a little bit, I was a little frustrated on the walk, so I'm like, oh, I know I'm going to want a treasure, and it brought up, you know, old disappointments of asking, and not always necessarily feeling the guidance in the way that maybe I wanted to feel the guidance, so, I, you know, so I was a little frustrated, but also being mindful of it, and aware, and coming back, noticing when I was going off, <laughs> And then bringing it back down and listening and trying to find my comforts in nature. So after, when I was kind of doing the same path that we did this morning, and then I just couldn't find a comfortable place to sit. <laughs> and then everywhere I went to sit, there was a mosquito. <laughs> like this high-pitched... I was really noting it. A oh, high pitch. I think it's really hungry. So then I kept going, and then I couldn't find a place to go. And then finally I'm like, okay, I cleared off a rock. I'm like, all right, I can't find a place. Here I go again. I don't feel guided. <laughs> I clear off the rock. 
And I sit there, and then um, just looking around at the trees. And then, so I sort of wrote little words, and then it, it's sort of a poem. <laughs> I don't see any trees that don't belong. Therefore, I must believe that I belong too. Some trees I see are wounded too. Some are decaying and fallen. And some with a big black knuckles of a callus growing from the bark. And it reminds me of some old disappointments. I can't seem to hide either. And then those teeny tiny young and green little trees full of promise. And then um, later, as I, I kept that thought, like sort of a koan, like you were saying, in nature and poetry and the forest beauty lies in its alive realness. I think I've said enough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank oh. you for listening. Beautiful. Um, all right. Um, my name is Dreame. Um, I think I'm gonna start with the morning uh, walk when I was feeling very uncomfortable and I was very much in my head and um, little, literally feeling pain uh, as I was walking. So much of like tension in my chest and. You all guys looked so like <laughs> relaxed and immersed in nature, and I was just like, "Yeah, of course I'm the special one. <laughs> I can do that." And um, and so uh, when we were asked to uh, do this, um, I forgot the name of it. What what was it? Swat, swat? Sweep, <laughs> sweep. I just couldn't do it. I mean, I couldn't stop and do it. And Suddenly, you all stopped. Everyone. And that was like, this whole community like took care of me, you know, so that I could do it. And that's how it felt to me. And it was just like, why have we stopped? Like, 
and, and suddenly I saw that tree that was um, like cut but quite high and, um, and I felt like uh, under it there is like my space. It's just there. As we were all standing, uh, I suddenly felt that profound relief. And then we moved on, and I moved on, and, and then we came back solo. And uh, my intention was, um, oh, first of all, what I had on this page were, was uh, the last words I heard uh, from you, Lama, uh, the world is vibrating with primordial wisdom. And so as I walked, I, I went to the same trail and my intention was to be allowed to rest. And, um, and I wanted to get back to that place, <laughs> to that tree, <laughs> of course. Um, but as I was walking, and I started walking like super fast because I knew that it was quite far, and then I was just like, you can't get there. You can't get there right now. You just want. You don't have that much time. And that was just sad. And I don't yet understand what it means, really, that you can't get to that place that you like really wanted. And perhaps it's that... Um, your place is not just there, but it's rather so vast that that just like initiated that feeling of connection, but it's not necessarily in that particular, under that particular tree. <laughs> so I kept walking and um, I, um, I'm sorry, I don't know that many words in English as you do, but I'm trying. And so, and, um, so I, I turned left out of the trail and I saw that, um, whatever it's called, <laughs> but it was written that it's, that's the end of the trail of this inside trail meditation, whatever. And I kept going. And I was just like feeling like, okay, I'm doing something forbidden. All right, <laughs> I'm gonna do it. And suddenly, like after 10 steps, there was this wide space, beautiful. And it was just like, yeah, that's here. That's exactly here. And I stayed there under the trees and I allowed this flow of, of this realness of, of nature to like enter me and uh, it felt so good in my uh, body uh, finally some uh, relief and, and rest and yeah I was granted many permissions even though I couldn't really I wanted to speak but I couldn't I, I, just, I wanted uh, uh, I couldn't you know I, I was just like but I felt it inside, and and I was as I was like lying down, I I was looking at those leaves like moving like that, and you know, and there was this sun like shining on me, and that was just so beautiful, <laughs> and um, 
And I, I, I kind of felt this. Even before you were born, you were here. Why this fear? And, um, and while I was there on the ground with the sun and those leaves and uh, that subtle movement and, and that uh, squirrel jumping like super high, I suddenly heard a thunder very far. And I was like, what? Like, this is like so, like, it, it just, it doesn't match. This, this just dreamy, <laughs> dreamy view, you know, it just doesn't match. And, and then I understand that, uh, that at the same time, I don't have aversion like towards it and that perhaps I'm allowed to accept myself as being that bright, sunny, uh, colorful, but also this dark. Like I'm not too with that, with all of that, but with both. Yeah, so that what, what was my, what I received, what was my treasure. And just last thing, I know I'm talking too long. Um, on the way back, uh, I saw Luna. <laughs> and I haven't stopped. I mean, she was behind me, you were behind me, and I, I, I felt I wanted to stop. I wanted to stop. I really wanted to stop, and I didn't. And that's what, what resonated with me when you said about this um, refuge. Like, I had that feeling to be kind of supported, like not even by speaking, but, but maybe just by looking into your eyes or whatever, you know, just pr being present together in that moment. But I couldn't allow myself to do that because I'm just like, no, I don't want to bother. I'm always bothering, 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 you know, always this fear of being judged. Why? Why? It's so strange that she stopped, you know. No. But I just wanted to acknowledge it as I heard this refuge and the wise ones and the kind ones and compassionate presences. So, uh, and there is just one final thing. <laughs> I won't speak more, I promise. I was hearing in my head something that I know from a teacher called Machi Klabdron. She was an 11th century Tibetan yogini, a very wonderful teacher, mother, all of, all of it. <laughs> and she had that verse. Since there is no path to traverse, rest in the basic ground, noble child. And I'll end with that. Thank you.
Hi, my name is Iris. When I was walking into the Dharma Hall tonight, I remembered when I first started the afternoon walk and walked on the pavement out here. I had my intention, my question in mind. I hadn't gone through all the steps, but the uh, guidance I wanted was in my mind. And I saw some dark, bluish-blackish berries on the ground, and some like clustered up against some um, fallen, decaying leaves. And I saw another group of them, and I felt relief that things change and they transform. And I shared that with my group earlier without saying that for me it was hopeful. And as I was walking in, I thought, oh, (laughs) seeing things decaying might not always be received as being hopeful, but that was my first response. Um, And then I walked a bit further and saw what looked like these green apples suspended in the air, not attached to anything. And this apple tree didn't have many leaves on it. And It looked miraculous and beautiful. And part of my question is about a transition in my life and and aging. And I was struck that this tree that still didn't have, that did not have lots of leaves on it was still bearing fruit. so, so then I walked the path and was wandering and found, found my way to a spot after seeing a few rocks that I thought might be the spot but didn't feel like it. And then um, saw a rock that was glittering a little bit. The light was catching it and went over there. And... Um, asked permission, was kind of feeling into asking permission, and it seemed okay. Um, And then realized I had not brought anything to make an altar and wasn't sure, um, but saw some yellow leaves and thought, ah, everything here is very muted in color. So gathered some yellow leaves and made a little offering on the stone and then sat. And I enjoyed sitting, looking um, at the tree canopies and around, but there was this sense that a treasure isn't going to come. (laughs) And and I looked at my notes and um, repeated going through the steps, the prayers, uh, intention, asking for guidance, and kind of settled into, well, maybe this is just it, and nothing particular will 
jump out. And then I saw a, a little, uh, actually I felt something on my arm. And it was one of the, um, what we called when I was growing up, daddy long legs. Although my, uh, my grandniece, when we spotted one, said, no, that's a mommy long legs. So um, <laughs> I appreciated that. Um, and it had these beautiful black legs and orangish body, and I had seen one on the building earlier um, as well. And so I just watched it kind of crawl behind, and I didn't know where it went. And then I saw it was on a rock, and I just followed it with my eyes, and it was so buoyant, um, kind of bouncy, <laughs> and would travel up and over and then into some leaves and I couldn't see it and then it would reappear. I would just see the little body kind of bouncing and then over to another rock and over the other side I couldn't see it and then it came back and was bouncing and came back this way and um, so its buoyancy struck me and so I after dinner I wrote down some words, but I, um, after dinner, thought I would go back and uh, try to process more um, this treasure. And so I did write something I'd like to share with you. Um, so this is from a petite, smaller than pea-sized, orange, red, bodied, thin, long, seven, black-legged friend. Take a few steps or more lightly, slowly or quickly, and when you're not sure, pause and feel forward with one sensing leg extended and six on the ground as your buoyant body is suspended and held by stones, moss, and lichen, by fallen leaves in decay, by centuries of soil under your feet. Try it out, turn around, or stay the way. Listen deeply, then go, and you'll know where. I'm Eric, and uh, let me see. Well, like a lot of people, I had sort of in my mind what, what I was looking for. And um, on the road coming up here, there's a little stream and running water. And I thought, oh, that's a lovely sound. I'd like to park myself next to that. But there's also like an incredible amount of foliage and weeds and things growing around it, so there's no way you can get anywhere near it. So I started wandering around looking for uh, for water, and uh, I discovered there's like six different, well, I found six different kinds of berries, 
rowing alongside the road, I was all excited. I was like, ooh, this is going to make a really nice altar. So I had like this big handful of berries. And uh, I spotted what I thought was a little stream, uh, but it was kind of, there were lots of, there was a little rock wall that I was trying to traverse to get there. And right as I was getting there, I realized that it really wasn't a stream. It was more of just like a little bog. Uh, but on the last step, the rock gave away, and, and I sort of pitched forward. And I didn't land all the way in the mud, but I kind of smushed my, my berry thing in my hand. And, uh, and I was like, well, I think that's the earth telling me that I'm at the right place. So I sat down and tried to make a, a little altar out of my mushed berries and um, wasn't looking awesome. But uh, so the first uh, thing I received was, uh, you don't need to find or be in the perfect place to feel okay. Because I, I felt okay, even though I just fell. So, uh, and then mine unfolded as a dialogue. So I wrote back, I was like, well, but does that mean that the place I am in now is good for me? I wasn't really talking about that place I was sort of talking about in my life. He said, no. <laughs> it may indeed be bad for you. All right. Am I doing something that's making it bad for me? Comparing yourself to others. How can I stop? You can't. As long as there is you, there will be others and comparisons. So what do I do? Just become one that devas cannot see. Okay, but seriously. <laughs> then there was some silence, and I was like, I looked over, and there was a toad uh, sitting in the bog, so the, the toad liked the bog. I was like, are you the one who's talking to me here, toad? The toad didn't answer. In a, like a black sort of fly wasp landed on the page and sat there for a moment and then took off again, which I took as my cue to, to keep things moving. What am I missing? That you are loved and that you have many places. But what do I do? Put down that heavy weight you're carrying. What weight? That you are not enough. That you're only as good as your accomplishments. That if you don't make a difference, you're a failure that you're not making a difference. That anyone else's evaluation of you 
determines your value. At that point, I'd had enough, so I was like, okay, thank you, that's enough. Mm. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. Beautiful. First of all, thank you everybody for sharing. It's very inspiring and I had the benefit of going later in the program so I got to hear everyone's reflections. Um, so I had two main things going on in my life that are really occupying my mind and body coming into this retreat and um, <laughs> wait for it <laughs> for a dramatic effect <laughs> actually you kind of already know because Dreve mentioned it in the introduction yesterday but one is that I'm pregnant this is the first time for me so everything is new uh, surprising challenging and uh, exciting, and it also feels like I'm kind of on a precipice uh, because my life is going to change and sort of end and begin. Um, and it's also hard. I don't have the same you know, capacities as I am used to having um, you know, to get work done. My, I don't have the same energy. My body is like... Uh, not, you know, uh, what's the word? Changing. That one, yeah. That's what it's doing. Um, and, you know, so my relationship to stresses in life is changing um, because I'm trying to protect myself um, but obviously stresses in life just continue. <laughs> and so one of them, the other thing that is really a big thing in my life right now is that I, let, I live in community and there is a very difficult dynamic in my house um, that seems to be unworkable and it has caused an immense amount of stress. And if you have lived in community or you've ever had an issue at home, it's you know the, the particular challenge of not having space, not really getting any chance to process because you just keep running into that person and that dynamic just keeps happening. And um, obviously the two major things are connected because I want to be healthy and harmonious. And even coming to this retreat, when I initially saw it, I thought, oh, this is going to be a chance for me to, my goddess pregnancy retreat, I'm going to, you know, connect to my body and all this stuff. Um, and there's just been like major drama that has totally <laughs> occupied my brain. So, um, so that's what 
I was thinking about in terms of uh, the intention, sort of the small intention, because that's what's up for me at the moment. And, um, and then just another thing that I felt, you know, hearing a bunch of you um, was sort of like a should uh, impulse, which I think a lot of us feel, and we've talked about, you know, like control, wanting to control and in my experience, I identify as more of an extrovert and like kind of a pleaser um, and also a performer. I'm a singer and I sort of felt like going into this, I need to write a song. I need to do something, you know, great. And it was, it put a lot of pressure on me as other people talked about, you know, I better find this treasure. Um, <laughs> and as it happened, the sort of intention that that I went out you know it, it, it was not at all what I thought it would be and it was also kind of like what Iris was saying um, there was a moment where I was like is this it all right I guess I guess this is this will be it so yeah with the like shoulds like I felt like oh I should be deep in the woods I f should find some magical stream and I wound up, the place that called to me was just behind this stone wall, like right where, you know, we look out from the dining hall. So, you know, kind of like almost a domestic scene. Uh, but I was like, no, you're still in the wild. Um, and then, you know, just working with that, accepting it. And, you know, I found something that I thought was special, which was like this piece of a branch that was sort of, in like a half moon shape and so that was the base of my altar and I put some acorns um, and I just was reflecting and asking for guidance I didn't really get anything when we when I met with the group um, I didn't have like a poem or really like a solid idea but but I just sort of sat with it and then after dinner um, I wrote uh, something like a poem which I will share I'm settling like a stone wall. The millennial pieces spit up from the earth were fleeing a fire. They cracked and broke over again, finally emerging from beds of dirt. Near to the surface, some were extracted by hands or tools, loaded into wagons, pulled by mules, possibly found on someone's quest for treasure or fertile ground, or possibly chosen for the building of a mound. I grew up in New England and saw them running through the woods, mostly too modest to be called a wall, less of a fortress than a subtle suggestion, but nonetheless a divider, a delineation, at least looked at from afar. But up close, where I was called to build my altar, I could see the great pores of this boundary, the shelter it provides for beings of all sizes, the many hands that must have smoothed its jagged parts and gathered them, stone upon stone, into a home. And I'll just end with a wish. 
May all beings be safe and protected. May all beings find refuge with healthy boundaries. May all beings be solid, integrating many jagged parts and porous, letting in life's treasure. others for this evening? Oh, okay. Well, we can invite her tomorrow. Okay. Yeah. This was amazing, can I just say, and the poems and the songs and the prayer, prayers, beautiful. Thank you. You for your offerings. So we're going to take a break now so we can stretch and move a little bit and we'll be back in mm, let's say at 8.25 8.25 and when we come back we're just going to practice. I'm going to do some chanting and some sitting. Thank you. okay. I thought he went downstairs to his room. I don't know. I saw him go out there and look like he went down. I hope he's feeling okay. Maybe you could check on him. I don't know. It's downstairs. I don't know. It looked to me. I watched. It looked like he went down there. Just to check. Yeah.
the only the only thing I can think of is if somebody is staying in the main house, if there's anyone who's living there who's works for BCBS. Did you notice him sort of doing this? Yes. Yeah, and I wondered if it was an emotional response or a physiological response. I don't know. I didn't know if he was crying and he was yeah. doing this. No. Yeah. Something's going on. Yeah, I'll, I'll ask when people come back if anybody's staying in the main house. Yeah, I don't think anyone here. Mm-hmm. We were sort of all kind of mm-hmm.
So just, just a reminder before we go back, before we go into practice, um, that we're in noble silence. <laughs> but it's, it's uh, the, the, um, the talking has been connecting and joyful, but just to remind us that between sessions, um, in the in the spaces outside the hall, we're going to try to maintain that discipline for the integrity of the retreat. So, I'm saying it now because when I when I ring the gong at the end of the meditation, I I won't say anything. We'll just go into noble silence. Just okay. a reminder. And um, I did just just have a quick inquiry. If anybody um, is staying near Ray here in this room, no, okay. okay. If you see him, maybe just check he's okay. Yeah, see, so just you know, check him, he's okay. Thank you. All right. And so I'd like to bring us into practice tonight with Tara's mantra. And so, does anyone know who Tara is? I know many people know Tara is probably. Okay, the female Buddha, uh, also Kuan Yin in China. She's called Kuan Yin and in, in India, Tibet, she's called Tara. And I'd like to introduce her mantra because she is such a bodhisattva of the natural world. She is green and she's always surrounded by, by trees and vines and flowers. And she's the goddess of fertility and the goddess of creativity, the goddess of generativity. Um, very much a mother, mother goddess, a goddess that mothers pray to, uh, Tara. And so I wanted to introduce her mantra to, to the retreat, and it's Om Tare Tutare Ture Swaha. And we can sing it with a tune. So just to get us started on the tune, I'll sing it once, just once. And then you can join in, and we'll, we'll chant it together a bit. And when we're chanting it, you can think about her if you want to invoke her presence. She is this, this female Buddha figure who is green, and she is her left leg is drawn up and her right leg is stepping down. She's sitting on a lotus. And the drawn up leg is symbolizing that she rests in equanimity. She rests in meditation. And her right leg stepping down is symbolic of she's moving into the world 
for compassionate activity. She's fiercely compassionate and she's active. So she's active, compassion, and she's also equanimous and practicing meditation. She is looking within, she's looking within. So when we're chanting her mantra, if you'd like, you can call her to mind and receive um, the light of compassion, the light of loving kindness from her body into yours. Or you can also just dwell on the sounds of the mantra. You know, mantras do have meanings. They do have translations sometimes. But actually, we're, we're taught in the traditions of chanting mantras not to think too much about the meaning, but to think about um, what's below the meaning. That mantras are these transformative, resonant uh, vibratory energies that have a divine transformative quality to them. So there's this encouragement in mantra chanting not to think too much about the meaning, but it does mean it's basically calling Tara. Oh, Tara, Tara, the swift one, um, please come, Swaha, which Swaha means something like um, exclamation point. So please come. So, om tare tutare ture svaha. Om tare tutare Om Tare Om Tare
May all places be held sacred. May all beings be cherished. May all wounds to forests, rivers, deserts, oceans, all wounds to Mother Earth be lovingly restored to bountiful health. May all beings everywhere delight in whale song, bird song, and blue sky. May all beings abide in peace and well-being, awaken and be free.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.